Welcome to Justice Studio Sessions. I am Marianne Moore, foundress of Justice Studio. During these sessions, we will be exploring the social justice themes that have emerged through Justice Studio's work, showcase grassroots activism, and deep dive into ethical and equitable research and consultancy methods. Stay tuned to learn more about the complexities of social justice and how you can turn your passion into action. Hello, dear listeners. In this episode, we are going to be talking about older LGBT plus people in England and Wales. The subject of older people's experiences in this country is something that's very dear to Justice Studio's heart. We've done a couple of really important projects, one for independent age on elder abuse and another pro bono piece of research during the COVID-19 pandemic where we had a group of elder volunteers talking to their peers around their experiences and how they felt about the pandemic. Also particularly related to the themes that come up in this episode is the work we did for the Royal Commonwealth Society and a collection of NGOs around LGBT plus activism across the Commonwealth states. In this work, we looked at intergenerational activism and the experiences of younger and older activists and how they could make sure that they worked together. In this episode, we are so lucky to be joined by a dear friend of ours, Bridget Simmons. Bridget is the CEO of Opening Doors, a charity dedicated to supporting LGBT plus people over 50 across England and Wales. Before this, she was head of Women's Centres and Safeguarding at Women in Prison and has worked extensively with survivors of domestic and sexual violence, homeless people and older women fleeing domestic abuse. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Bridget and I hope you enjoy our discussion. Let's dive in. Okay, hello Bridget. It's really good to have you here. It's very, it's really actually genuinely really exciting because you are kind of a friend as well as the head of this amazing organization. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about older um, LGBT plus people, but also kind of more about your organization and what work you're doing. But it would be great if you could just give a bit of a general introduction as to who you are so that people know a bit more about you in your own words. So I'm Bridget Simmons, and I'm currently the CEO for Opening Doors, which is the only national charity that works with LGBTQ plus people over 50. And we do a range of activities and we also do some policy work, research and training. In a former life, my expertise and area that I've worked in is mainly sexual and domestic abuse. And I've also worked with most recently women in prison. So lots of different intersecting parts of why all of those social justice elements work together. Yeah, amazing. And yes, I'm familiar with all of the amazing work that you've been doing over the years. And it's really exciting to see you in this new position. So I'm looking forward to having a really good discussion about this topic. It's very dear to Justice Studio's heart because we've done a few different projects, firstly on on older people and, and, and elder abuse, but also on movement building and intergenerational movement building within um, LGBTQ movements. And so we've kind of like a lot of the themes that have come up from that work are things that hopefully we can also mention here. So that's hopefully gonna be really good. Okay, so I think that we've already kind of mentioned a few different acronyms. <laughs> there's kind of, there's LGBT+, plus, there's LGBTQ, there's LGBTQIA, and there's all sorts of different ways of saying it. And I think for those that don't know what all of these different letters stand for, it would be really good if you could kind of help to define the terms and just tell us a bit about what each kind of means. So the acronym is very interesting and also very dear to our community. But as with any language and 
anything kind of definitions wise changes all the time and so at opening doors we tend to use lgbt plus but i realized that in the introduction i actually said lgbtq plus so i'm already muddling myself up so that's good so in terms of the what they all mean we have lesbian gay bisexual and trans and those are kind of the more well-known terms i would say and then we have the plus which includes queer intersex and asexual Queer is a really interesting word and there's a lot of kind of different feelings on the word queer. It was reclaimed after being quite a pejorative slur initially when people were obviously, I suppose, gay walking around prior to the 80s. And then in the 80s, the AIDS and HIV activist community reclaimed it. It's very much a younger person's word, I would say, in lots of ways, because it sort of speaks to the fact that we're not one thing within the LGBT umbrella. We actually tend mm. to sit along lots of those different definitions. And also that there are various elements that we're kind of referring to within that umbrella. So we're talking about sexual identity, but we're also talking about gender identity. And sometimes queer is a more inclusive term, I suppose, for kind of what people's experience are because we're also not a homogenous group so queer works in that sense intersex is a more complicated term in the sense that it's a term used to describe a person who might have biological attributes of both sexes or do not fit or their biological attributes don't fit with societal assumptions about what constitutes male or female and then asexual tends to be about people who don't have sexual attraction but may have romantic attraction and to say that that fits all of us is too basic. It, we, we all fit into lots of different things and there are so many different elements. And actually there are different definitions for some people for those letters. I mean, yeah, the LGBT uh, list of glossary of terms on the Stonewall website is a great way place to start. But I think it's the senses we want to include everyone that doesn't fit yeah. into that heteronormative view of the world. And we recognise that that's a huge range of experience yeah I guess that is the thing isn't it I mean that makes it easier well you know in in general terms to talk about a plus because yeah there could be so many different ways to identify and and things that people feel comfortable with what you said about the word queer really came through in the work that we did with with older people when we were looking at movements and intergenerational work between movements because a lot of the older particularly older gay men found that they really felt a bit alienated from the word queer because it was as you say a word that had been used abusively against them as they grew up so they kind of felt like it was a weird thing to you know they didn't want to be identified or kind of think about that kind of horrible way of being spoken about so it is quite interesting isn't it how that term in particular has a really different connotation depending on your generation I think I think it's generational. And I also actually, as we were talking, I was just thinking, it's also dependent on so many factors. So actually where you grew up as well, for example, because language means different things, right, wherever you are in the world. And I also think that generationally queer was also seen as a term to use as kind of abnormal or slightly odd I guess mm-hmm. so, you know there's there's a lot of reasons that queer was seen as a negative term I think I think it's been that's a really hard meeting point for the younger and older LGBT plus community actually because I think it can feel quite alienating when someone who has fought so hard to be within their own identity whether that be gay bisexual trans is then termed as queer they might find that too general really it doesn't really identify who they are on the other hand I think it's great for community building and acknowledging all of the different intersects of where we sit as a community and I think that the LGBT plus community traditionally has not been great if you are a person of colour or you have a disability and so we have been kind of we've had to struggle with issues of racism and ableism and I think Queer also speaks to the fact that we are talking about a whole range of different elements of our personalities and the way we live our lives and who we are, rather than just thinking of you are a gay person. It might be that you are a gay person who is also disabled, that might be visibly or not visibly, and you might also be from a community that isn't sort of seen societally often as a gay community. We have 
mean, inevitably, white gay men are the most kind of visually identifiable gay group, I think. And so it's just more about recognising that perhaps we've been too narrow thinking in our in our terminology in the past. Mm. Yeah, and it is interesting, isn't it, how how there how there are or or gradually as time has gone on, people have been able to find new words to kind of fit their experience. And so we have had this kind of proliferation of, of new terminology and things like that. And as you say, yeah, this kind of thing of it being about somebody's gender identity, but also their sexual identity and sexual preferences. So there's just so much going on, isn't there, in, in, in it? Absolutely. And I think that queer as a term, it, it, I, when I hear the word queer, actually, when someone says to me I'm a queer person or refers to somebody else as a queer person, it, it feels kind of comforting because you know that that person is an ally mm. and that's someone that you're not going to feel worried about potentially homophobia or transphobia and that's a really it's like a you know we talk about red flags but it's like a green flag it's like that person knows and understands and has some understanding of what that might be like to exist in the world as an LGBT plus person yeah awesome in terms of older people obviously well I mean I'm not I'm not to say that things are perfect in the world today at all there's a, a huge amount of discrimination but things have slightly changed over the years haven't they if you think about an older person's life span you work with people who are 50 plus is that right yeah that's um, correct yeah so if we're thinking about five decades or people who are older from there there has been a real shift in acceptance in general towards the community but to what extent are are older LGBT plus people out? Are they, you know, are, are they all out or are some of the people that you work with still unable to kind of talk about their their identity? I think it's really interesting. I think there's, let's take that question as a few elements of it. I suppose firstly to say that we do often come into contact with members who are not out, who have come out later in life, whether that be as a trans person or a gay bisexual intersex or whatever the the identity is you know we know of people in their 70s who have lived ostensibly what looks to be a heteronormative life they've had a family they've had kind of what looks to be like everybody else and then in their 70s have realized that that's not an existence they can continue with and I think that can be a particularly alienating experience in and of itself because you've built a community around you that probably knows you as one person and then you are potentially going to be seen as a totally different person you may also have people in that community who are homophobic transphobic biphobic whatever the the thing might be and you also have this family that you're having to grapple with as well so there's the kind of personal element of it but I think that also there's a societal element of it and that is that we see age as in my often I think that we see age as invisibility we stop seeing people as they get older and we stop seeing them as people with lots of different elements to their personality. I think we start seeing people as vulnerable and we paternalise them in a way that often means, for example, we don't think about the fact that they might still be having sex, let's say, or that they might have sexual attraction or that they might still be grappling with their gender identity. And so therefore, I think that LGBTQ plus people or LGBT plus people are particularly in a particularly difficult position because I think people struggle to think about this kind of idea of this life that doesn't sit under a heteronormative life, whatever that might be, a partner that's male if you're a woman, and as we know. And therefore, there are other elements to that which are quite difficult. That is that you might be in a care setting that is extremely heteronormative. There are transphobic, homophobic people in that care setting. Those people might be caring for you you might not have a chosen, you might not have a family in the way that a heterosexual family might exist. You might have a chosen family. LGBT plus people tend to talk about a chosen family. That might be because they were isolated or stigmatised by their family and therefore they've chosen people around them. And there's also other elements. I mean, LGBT people, there is a lot of research to suggest that LGBT plus people are more likely to be lonely in their older age, more like less likely to have networks around them and also less likely to engage with social care and care settings because of the stigma they might have had in the past. So there's a whole range of factors going on. So you have an isolated group of people that are really struggling 
that might be even more obvious it might be more clear if you are someone who is also coming out at that age so you're leaving behind what you had as an established life and moving into something different so we have a really isolated group of people and that's what we find in our work is that that isolation is a very particular experience to lgbt plus people mm. so so you're so you're saying that there there are still a significant group of people that don't feel able to to be able to to talk about their their real sexuality yeah i think that they have grown up in a time where it has been extremely hostile abusive you know legislatively societally in every possible way to be an lgbt plus person and therefore they are probably dealing with layers of that trauma as well as maybe feeling that they don't necessarily fit into what we think of as an LGBT plus community. We are a society that idolises youth. And I think the LGBT plus community has an interesting relationship with ageing because we've had a lot of trauma attached to not getting older. Mm. So our communities that were ravaged by HIV and AIDS and just trauma more generally whether that might have led to increased suicide rates for example which we know were an issue are an issue for particularly older lgbt people uh uh, lgbt people more generally sorry Mm. and so therefore that there's a kind of you have a you have a group which are really feeling completely ostracized from the experience of being younger and therefore not kind of seen in the LGBT community themselves, but also not being in the old ageing community because that's so seen as so heterosexual, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah completely. Because, yeah, it, well, it, it makes total sense. And it and it seems, it feels really horrible that the older people will be facing those two challenges of not really being able to feel themselves and be themselves and, yeah. and yeah, not fitting in in this, you know, in the heteronormative kind of standard way of being. I think one of the pieces of work that Opening Doors is really wants to explore and try and find a proper space for is that intergenerational work where we connect younger and older LGBT plus people. Because I think that we have a responsibility to our elders and there is definitely a sense in our community that we feel very grateful to our elders. They have sort of walked the path for us to be able to live freely in our world now and they sort of paved the way for us to become us kind of and so therefore there's a responsibility I think to that generation but again because they're potentially invisible I'm not sure that LGBT plus people that are younger necessarily have access to that cohort of people so there's something Mm. there around how do we bring the two together and, and what does that look like in a in a friendship way, not a kind of caring way or a paternalistic way, but a, an equal footing. Because I think both groups would probably have so much in common. I mean, when I sit with members, I just have a brilliant time talking to them about their fascinating lives and all the different things they've done. And so I think that there's something there in the middle about finding that intergenerational place for them to connect. Yeah, definitely. Certainly when we were doing our research and talking to the younger people within the LGBT plus movement, they were they had a hunger for wanting senior elder experts that have been through it, you know, and, and kind of wanting to access their expertise and their strength, you know, I guess been worn down by it, but survived it and, you know, and, and have stories to tell and and a way to make them feel more supported. So I do think that there's definitely a, there, there there must be a desire on both sides for sure to cultivate. I think so, and I think that I think that there's some of the issues that the LGBT plus community experience, and and that can be split by age. I think often we think that there is an issue, for example, with transphobia in older LGBT plus people. Now, my experience that's that's not the case. But I think that older LGBT plus people are homogenised to be less kind of flexible and open minded and aware of the change in terms of our community and what some of the issues are. Um, And I think that that's potentially because we actually don't really give them a platform to talk about their experience and we don't really allow them to have those conversations with people that maybe are experiencing their LGBT plus identity quite differently now in a world where. It is, it's not easy 
to be a trans person. It's pretty hostile at the moment. But we have these amazing young people surging forward and living their lives in the way that they want to. And I think that that's where there's a bit of a disconnect sometimes because I actually think we're all much more similar than we... It's it's that kind of age-old thing of we're much more similar than our differences, if you know what I mean. Our society, as you have said, doesn't acknowledge and appreciate or value or you know think aging is beautiful in the way that it should and you know all of the associated wisdom obviously we have a lot of pressure on women in general but I think both you know all people experience this pressure to feel young and look young but I know that one of the things that you've said is that you want to create a world that we want to grow old in and I really like that sentiment it's really beautiful. So I just, I'd love to hear more about kind of what you think about, what you think about the world and how it should be and, and what it would mean to be in a world where it's, where it's great to, to grow old in. I think for me, I, I suppose I meant that is in a two pronged approach, really. Firstly, I mean, aging generally, and I speak for, I think, everyone when I say that I think aging is not given any kind of space really in this society, not in a positive way. It's often couched in the terms of how much care costs or you know, what, what care home are you gonna go into? And there's a lot of horror written, I think, about the idea of dying as well. We don't have open conversations about that, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice by not allowing those conversations to take place and seeing that actually getting older can be this really fantastic and wonderful part of life that where I don't know even as I've got older you get you less you care less about what people think about you and you start reflecting on all the amazing (laughs) things that you've done and the people that you've met and the decisions you've made or not made and I think that as a society we attach we're so obsessed with youth it's kind of like as a woman and a man you're constantly being told you should do something to make yourself look younger for example (laughs) and actually I think that that is Firstly, I think it's probably quite a Western view in the sense that I think there are lots of communities globally who really, you know, look to older populations for guidance and give them the respect they deserve. But I think that what I mean is I would like it to feel that older people are given space, even just space outside in society. I feel this when you're walking behind someone who's older and they have to be a bit slower and there are people rushing past them and just trying to get out the way. And it's this kind of feeling of just allow that person to take up a little bit of space. I space is so important, I think. And I think mm. that there's also the, the, the point of privilege, you know, we, we class and race and education, all of those things make a real difference to your aging abilities to age well, I think is what I would say. So, you know, it's dependent on whether you can afford good care, whether you are able to join groups because they may look one, they may look for a type of person and you don't feel you fit into it. I also think there's a specific thing for women, which is that, and I think this comes a lot for lesbian women as well, is that feeling of wanting to be in a safe space with other people who have a similar experience to them my work in domestic and sexual abuse has spoken volumes about that and I think lesbian women potentially as they get older feel that too now at opening doors and from my own perspective that's an inclusive space so I when I say women I mean anyone who is a woman and says they are a woman and we Mm -hmm. are incredibly trans inclusive in everything that we do and I think that's really important for the element of that work But I suppose I also mean that when we're thinking about that, and that's kind of segued me into my next point about ageing, is that for LGBT people, I would like for them to not be at the bottom of the pile and be invisible. And, you know, I'd like for their their relationships to take centre stage on a poster even. And when you walk into an, I don't know, a hospital ward, or I'd like for them to be asked inclusive questions when they're older, such as, tell me about your relationship, not where's your wife, where's your husband, with an assumption that you are Mm. therefore a heterosexual person. And also that I think we still have a real problem with seeing the LGBT community as overly sexualised. And we know from Compassion in Care, who run a helpline working with whistleblowers in the care sector, 
that there is a lot of stigma, very overt stigma towards LGBT people in care settings. We know that they are called things like perverts, for example, and abused on the basis of being a gay person, for example, or a trans person. And it would just be nice to think that that wasn't a factor for someone's, it didn't matter. You know, I think we want to recognise the LGBT experience, but it also should be not be used against someone in a negative way. And I think it still is. And I suppose the final thing I would say about the wanting to make a world we grow order is that since working at Opening Doors, I've kind of been grappling with my own feelings about growing older. And I would like to think, you know, you work for when you work for a charity, that the, the irony of working for a charity is that you often don't want your charity to exist because actually what you want is the world to look different, whatever that might look like. And I think that when I say I want to create a world we grow old in, I just want there to be a world where LGBT people can have a respectful, happy and content ending to their lives in the same way that we would expect for any population. And I think there's lots of work to do on the ageing side of things and also on the LGBT element of it. But you sort of think about it for yourself. And I hope that there's a world where the people in our age group so 40s to 50s can start to see that actually getting older is going to be easier and it's not something to be so terrified by I suppose yeah no yeah I completely agree I think it is weird when you start to get older and I'm sure older people will say that we're not really that old because we're older than we were and I remember well recently I hurt my foot and it took ages and ages for it to get better and I normally am kind of one of those people that powers powers along and then I kind of couldn't and I realized how it was a it was quite a good wake-up call for me because I realized how how long it took me to cross the road and things like that and I realized how little time there is on things like traffic lights and all sorts of things and buses you know if you don't get off the bus immediately then you're kind of it's really really hard and I just realized gosh this world I mean I mean I'm I've noticed a couple of tiny things but the world isn't set up for older people is it it's set up for for, for younger people who are who are able-bodied and there are all sorts of ways that you don't even realize it until you start to kind of encounter difficulties and yeah as you say like the, there is a we have a problem in Western society about aging. We, we we don't appreciate our elders. We are shoving people in care homes in this in this really isolated and yeah and and just really horrible way. It's it's it feels a kind of a bleak picture when you look to your future. And we have that we have that about older people in general. And then to intersect this additional Absolutely. issue of, of LGBT plus makes it even more difficult because and and yeah and at that age there is that there is more of this experience of trauma as well and and less acknowledgement of it so it makes it doubly hard yeah I, I I totally agree and I think that you know when we talk about intersectionality just going back to it again we also you know we think about ability and we think about race in that as well and again all of those things make it harder for someone to experience their age well I think sometimes in the society that we live um, yeah. and I think that as an LGBT community we are aware of it I mean we have tonic housing are the first LGBT community of old people living together on Bankside uh, just opposite Parliament or a little bit further down and it's it's a it's a wonderful space they've set it up in a way that feels not only LGBT inclusive and respectful but celebratory and that's also the key for me is I feel that there's a way we look at age which is about decline and actually Mm. where's the celebration in living longer where's the celebration in saying I've lived a full and happy and good life I don't think that we are able to grapple with that and I think it's around fear probably and I think for the LGBT community death has been a has been a consistent you know, hanging theme over us, not only for us literally because of things like the AIDS and HIV crisis, but because society has been telling us that as LGBT plus people, we are more likely to die because of that. Or, you know, you only have to look at, I don't know, let's take a really a long time ago example, but when Stephen Gately from Boyzone died, the rhetoric around his death was kind of about the fact that he was a gay man and therefore it was likely, more likely that he would die. And I think that that is what death for us as a community is very hard to grapple with because 
we have had it from all sides and we see it as a negative because it's been thrown at us as a kind of abusive potential for being an LGBT plus person. And therefore we're struggling to move the conversation into this. Let's look at living longer and dying later as a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, the confidence that you get and the wisdom that you get from from your age, from aging and, you know, yes. just not caring what people think so much anymore. Absolutely. Which is really positive. Absolutely. Okay, I I I I feel like I'm going to now go back on what we've just said because I was going to ask you about some challenges, but maybe we can also talk about some positives afterwards. Yeah, of course. But you've already mentioned a little bit about loneliness and and you know, violence and care homes and things that have been going going on for for certain people in these environments, but what would you say are the main challenges that older LGBT plus people experience at the moment? So we know that older LGBT plus people are more likely to be alone and experience increased mental health concerns. They tend to also have less networks, as, as, I, as I talked about. There's also some evidence to suggest that potentially they are less connected to things like pensions and they're less set up for later life because of potentially not being able to access workplaces that had those things when they were younger because of their LGBT plus um, identity and therefore they are less well off than the general population might be as they get older. I think that's something that to explore a lot more, but I think it's it's an interesting part of the experience of people who don't sit within the, the, the who feel marginalised, I suppose, more generally is kind of that, what that means economically for them, I think is something that's really interesting to think about. But the major issue is around accessing care. You know, we have a lot of people who who work, we work with as members who are categorically sure they do not want to go into a care home because they are terrified that they are going to go into a care home where they are going to be abused and stigmatised by the fact that they are an LGBT plus person. We've heard of experiences in care homes where LGBT plus people's rooms have been bibles have been left in lgbt plus people's rooms to in order for them to be protected from the sins of their identity and uh, as i spoke about earlier the compassion and care report speaks very clearly uh, that whistleblowers say that a personal religious or cultural belief from some of the staff that lgbt plus people were evil and needed to be converted was part of the reason that they hadn't been cared for properly and that Bibles were left in their room. Oh my God, it's horrible. Oof. It's kind of, yeah, it, it, it's stark. I think it's really stark when you think about it in those terms because that's a really hard place to challenge somebody from. And, you know, those kind of attitudes, diversity inclusion training is not going to necessarily challenge those highly embedded attitudes that people have and, I think that that is where we come up against a really difficult and challenging problem. There's actually been a lot more coverage about this. The Guardian and Channel 4 have covered this. And also there's been a documentary about a couple, a gay couple who one of them went into a care home in Croydon and was really severely abused, like horrifically so. And the staff were not sacked. They were moved. They, I think they had were given told to take time off and then moved around. And I already kind of mentioned Compassion and Care, which are a fantastic organisation run by Eileen Chubb, who are doing lots of work into whistleblowers in settings, care settings. And I think it's important to distinguish, to, to say that care settings can be within your own home or they can obviously be in an actual care setting. You might have an LGBT person who has a carer come into the home and they are feeling that they can't have any photos out that they are having to put themselves back in the closet for that carer to come in and treat them with respect. And that for me is a horrifying prospect because you're not even safe in your own home then, which we know is, is a problem across society in lots of different perspectives, you know, thinking about abuse more generally. But I think that there's something there that's, that, that's really problematic and therefore potentially LGBT plus people aren't accessing the care that they need and therefore might be getting iller and might end up in hospital more so than others because they have allowed, they have been allowed 
to not access that care that that is react is proactive and therefore looks after them. I also think that there's an element of the what we know of the care sector is that it's not a safe place for LGBT people to work. This has been reported to Compassion in Care. Um, there's a couple of reports on their website which talk about the experience of being an LGBT plus whistleblower, and it's horrific. And that also within those care settings, they didn't feel able to come forward about the transphobia and homophobia that they saw happening due to fear of being stigmatised themselves or losing their jobs. So when we see that and that's kind of being brought to the fore, it's that feeling of you are not in, as an LGBT plus person, you are not safe in a care setting. And therefore there's a big gap. What does that mean if you are getting older? I think that that can exacerbate the loneliness and isolation. You know, things like our befriending service, we have a befriending service who work with our most in need members. Often those people are the only, the befriender from Opening Doors is the only person that LGBT plus person engages with because they don't feel able to engage with services. They don't feel that they have a community around them that supports them. And I think the final thing to say, just in terms of what the experience is for older LGBT plus people, I was thinking about this and I read an article actually, which said when you walk into an LGBT plus centre and you look at the listings, so what's going on, is there something there that an older person would want to access? Because we have this assumption that everybody wants the same thing and of course they don't. And I think that again, the LGBT plus community has been seen as kind of the good time community, the party community, and all of, I mean, again, that homogenous view of us. And I think that can feel very alienating for older people. And that has been, you know, I've, I've seen that in when I've spoken to members. Mm. Yeah, some of the things you were saying there about about the experience of care and the abuse in care is is really, really horrible, obviously, and really concerning, because of course, once you're if you're more frail and you can't kind of fight back, you're just a lot more, you're not more potentially vulnerable in that situation. We did a project on elder abuse that looked into abuse of older people. And, you know, there's also people in their homes, you know, their families were also abusing them, you know, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's not just care staff. It's also if you, if you're, if you're reliant on your family to look after you and, you know, they don't like you or, or they, you know, are going to, treat you badly then you're really stuck and particularly you then don't want to talk out about your family either you're not going to necessarily complain or you can't complain or you justify it in one way or another so there are all sorts of different situations where you can be stuck as an older person in general absolutely just just thinking about that family you know we talk about lgbt plus people maybe not having their family but but of course some will when we go back to what we were talking about earlier which is people who've come out when they're older that is a really fertile breeding ground for someone who needs care, but may have a family that is very, very hostile to their identity. And may that may come out, and not always, but that may come out in some abuse or hostility towards them in a way that means that they're so isolated because they're seen to have family. Therefore, they must have a support network. But actually what we don't see, and this is true of elder abuse more generally and familial abuse, is that we see a family, we make an assumption, we don't necessarily see that that family might also be the abuser. And so it would be great to hear more about the kind of work that you do with 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 older people and, and maybe just also talk a bit more about opening doors and how it came to be. Can you give us a bit of a an overview and and, and tell us about the work that you're doing? Yeah, so Opening Doors started as a gay men's group in the 80s in Hampstead um, and has evolved hugely, but kind of, I suppose, in line with the way that our communities evolved, actually. So I think in the 80s, the gay part of our community was probably the most kind of obvious part, I would say. We are now an LGBT plus inclusive of all organization and we offer a range of things. So we have a whole range of services that we offer and that tends to encompass things like groups, social activities, we have singing, we have art, 
a whole range of things for people and they just have to sign up as a free membership and they get our listings monthly and they can attend whatever they like basically and that's one element of it we then have the befriending service which i mentioned earlier which is for people who may not be able to leave the house and who have additional needs or don't feel comfortable accessing larger groups of people we also are very dependent on a huge number of volunteers i mean they do an astonishing amount of work for us they are literally the backbone of everything we do they run our groups they do our sunday social where they cook lunch for people you know there's a whole range of things they do and so they are also part of our kind of membership our extended membership and the whole the main thing that we try and cultivate within all of those things is a sense of connection and a sense mm-hmm. of having somewhere to go someone to speak to someone who understands or tries to understand in a respectful way what your experience is. So we have that side of the work, which is mainly London-based, and then our national work or that is far farther reaching, I suppose, in terms of the UK landscape, is our research. So we work with multiple universities to look at older LGBT people, LGBT plus people's experiences of growing older. We've done work on the cost of living crisis. We did some work on COVID. So really bringing to the fore that experience of the LGBT plus community as they get older. And then we also have a whole range of training that we do for care homes, social care settings, actually any organisation that's interested in how to work with older LGBTQ plus people and how to be inclusive. There is also, we have our training and then the second part of that is we have a quality mark, which is the Pride in Care quality mark. And that essentially is a whole program which care homes and other social care organisations and companies can engage with, which if they go through the process, which is looking at their comms, their settings, their staff attitudes, everything, once they have the care, pride in care quality mark, they can put that on their website. And so LGBT people can go to it and think, oh, OK, that's a care home I can go into because they have the pride and care quality stuff mark. Mm-hmm. And that is a really big part of what we're trying to expand because we know that this is where the real issue lies. And that's across the whole of the UK. Um, and so that's kind of at the moment seems to be the bit that's that's the, the awareness raising is in that element of the work we're doing, I think. And that's why compassion and care so important and tonic housing and stonewall housing, all of whom have kind of already acknowledged that need for older LGBT plus people. And so those are kind of the main elements of the work that we do. And then there's there's the other bit, which is actually just being the only national charity that works with older LGBT uh, people over 50. We hold a really important position. It, that That is a unique piece of work. There are lots of smaller organisations across the UK that are doing that work in their communities. And I would like to think that one of the pieces of work that we'll be focusing on is building those connections so that we have a network where we can direct people to if they need support in their area. But I think it's about drawing attention to the experience of older LGBT people and, and saying they are as deserving as your they're deserving in visibility and experience and platform as anybody else, really. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, that all sounds really amazing. I, I love that, the care quality mark, the, the pride quality mark. That's, that's, that's so brilliant. I mean, it just makes me think of, you know, it's like a rainbow flag flying exactly. across a bar, but it's not a bar, it's a care home. And that's what you need. You, you, need the, you need the flags flying everywhere so that people know that they are welcome. So I love that. Is that something that Opening Doors pioneered? Yeah, so that was set up by Opening Doors. We used to be a part of Age UK, went independent in 2016 and became our own freestanding charity. But we created that, our training department created that and have been working on it. And it's such a changing thing because, again, with language and the way we understand our community, that's constantly changing. And so I think the other thing is that we are very aware that this is not something that stands still. You know, once someone has the quality mark, that doesn't mean that it's done for them because they're going to get new staff with different attitudes. It's going to inevitably in the care sector, there's a high turnover of staff. So it's also a relationship that and a partnership that we would hope and try to keep going with those care settings to, to to enable them to redo the training and re-go through all of that rigorous 
monitoring to make sure that they are LGBT plus inclusive as well. Yeah, but I think what you mean, I mean, it's just a sense of, of yeah, bringing more visibility to the issue and and to the people, as you say, because certainly it feels like there's not enough airtime or, you know, TV time or whatever time given to 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 this generation. So it's really, really important. Are there particular kind of tranches of people that you work with? I mean, would you say that you work in particular with certain groups of people that... I suppose our befriending service is specifically for those that are very isolated and therefore may not be accessing all of the services that they are able to access. So kind of, are they getting the care assessment that they need? Do they have the help at home? All of that stuff. Befriending sounds like such a simple thing but there's a lot of advocacy and redirecting people to the right places because often people don't know what they're actually allowed as well it's kind of astonishing so I think that's a huge part of what we do and I think I think that because our staff are from the LGBT plus community as well that's a really important part of the work that we do our volunteers nearly all are as well and that's not to say we don't welcome allies working with us we do but there's something really important about being an expert by experience and having Mm -hmm. that understanding of what it might feel like for that person and feeling connected in that way I suppose so I think that's a really core part of what we do but I think it's actually the pride and care stuff that I would say that we're trying to progress further and really bring to uh, what I would like to see is pride and care elements of Pride and Care being part of all training for all care homes. And I don't mean as an add-on, I mean as mm. a core part of the training, because I think often we see this stuff as an add-on. But how are you going to know if you have, I mean, lots of people when we go to care homes and do training say, we don't have any LGBT plus residents. And you right. yourself, how do you know that you don't have any LGBT plus residents? <laughs> Potentially they haven't felt able to say that to you. And actually given the attitudes you've displayed, I'm not that surprised. So it's also about reminding people that these are people that are walking around the world around you all the time. You just don't necessarily know it. So I think for me, a real core part of what I want to achieve at Opening Doors is to really make that part, that training and that attitudinal change as part of the general training for care staff. Mm. And in terms of the volunteers and the staff, you said, I mean, I'm assuming that the majority of them are, are younger than than your, the people that you work with. What What is it about? I mean, how do you create solidarity between the generations, you know, through your volunteers and your staff? What What do What do they get out of it each side, if you see what I mean? So it's interesting you say that our staff team is actually quite mixed. We have nearly half the staff are in the age group of our members crucially important to say that 50 plus is a huge age group so we also acknowledge that that's not everyone's going to not not everyone's going to want the same things within that and need the same things you know some of our members are still working and doing all the other things that the rest of us do as a younger person I think that what the younger cohort of volunteers find is they often find friendship actually which is it's such a basic thing but we know of befriending relationships where they've ended the befriending relationship in the kind of formal opening doors way, but have continued the relationship with the person. They still visit them. I know of a befriender who had a long-term relationship, friendship with their befriendee. They then died, but the person that was being befriended's partner continued to be in their life and they had this kind of common connection. So I think there's that part of it. I think there's something about, I mean, it sounds a bit trite and I think it's difficult to talk about this without it sounding a little bit paternalistic, but there's also something about giving back to the community that allowed you to be you. I think that's really important for younger people. I certainly feel grateful that I can walk down the street holding the hands of my female partner and not feel that it's completely rare or unique or that I'm going to be abused. And, you know, that's because lots of the people that we work with were marching for us many many years ago so there's something about that too and I think the other thing is just really finding people that are totally fascinating and building a network for yourself Mm -hmm. that's larger than just your age group I think in London we have a real tendency to stick with our peers and I think this is a it you know London's one of those cities which is fascinating you can meet a range of people and it yeah it can feel very isolating and very difficult to make friends outside of your own 
the people you maybe knew from school or another setting or whatever. And I think there's something about making your community wider as well. I think that's what that brings. And I think the final thing is the ability for older people to continue to have, you know, flourishing relationships, new relationships as they get older. You know, we don't stop developing. We don't stop wanting things. We don't stop having goals just because we're older. And I think there's something there as well for the older person that might be working with a volunteer. They get something they they meet someone new with a different experience and and some of those conversations that are really difficult you know when we think about things like potentially transphobia biphobia some of those conversations when the challenge the challenging of people on language for example can be done in such a positive way by these relationships where someone who is using a different terminology might say well I actually identify like this and another person says oh, I'm not sure I like that term. And there's a conversation there that's respectful. It's not shouting at each other or abusing each other on Twitter. It's a natural opportunity to really explore what that means for the person. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I do feel like there's so much potential, potential allyship, potential amazing solidarity between the generations. Certainly when we were doing the intergenerational movements work, there was just, there seems like there each side can get so much out of that connection and learn so much and feel more confident from that kind of connection between them. Absolutely. It's, it's easy to say to, uh, from the perspective of the older person's organisation, it's easy to say oh, they're not interested or, and I think that often is what's suggested, but I can't tell you since I've started this role, the number of younger LGBT plus charities that have asked to meet with me and really excited to discuss how we could work together. And I think there's real fertile ground for that. It's just about finding the time in increasingly tight and capacity, problematic capacity situations to, to really develop that work properly. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. What have been the highlights for you so far in, in your role? You know, it's so funny that I've been asked this a, a number of times and I think people think I'm going to say something really massive, like, I don't know, some event we did. The bit that I have loved so much is meeting members one-to-one. -one. So I've I've kind of tried to meet, if people have asked to have coffee with me or discuss something with me, I've tried to go and meet them. And I've just had the most fascinating conversations and really the lives that some of our members have lived and the things that they've had to grapple with and and, and overcome is constantly the reason that I do this work I literally walk away and feel completely re-energized and think okay this is why we're doing it and I, and as time has gone on the training and pride and care and the social care element of what we do feels really really important to me I am in a part in a time in my life where social care settings are becoming more of a personal connection because people's parents are going into social care and or dealing with social care and therefore, I think experiencing and seeing some of the attitudes of some of the staff in our surveys that we do has really once pushes me to feel that that is where the work, that's where the most important part of our work, because that's real systems change. And that's what I want for Opening Doors is that we are able to do the service delivery and be there for our members, but also make a real difference longer term. Earlier on, I said that let's talk about more positives and, and we fell into the trap of kind of talking negatively about older age. And, and I obviously want to acknowledge all of the challenges, but we also want to try and change the stereotype. So are there any more positive things that we can that we can say, like what kind of world are we going to create? Let's be positive. We're going to make this a better place to grow old. And what will that look like for LGBT plus people? It will look like coverage, I think. So that might be that they are seen at Pride, that they walk in the parade or they that they are in the parade. They are on posters and in comms for different places. We see couples, older LGBT plus couples. And, you know, there's lots of different times in the, in the, in the year we can celebrate this. So we're coming up to LGBT plus history month in February which is a real opportunity to remember our elders and all of the different things that they've done there's pride month in July and we also have silver pride which is specifically for older LGBT plus people in November and so 
it's really carving out space and making sure those things are available and that it isn't just older people engaging with those things but that everyone is engaging with them so they can see the kind of the real breadth of experience of the older lgbt plus community because it is it's amazing in every possible way that is amazing i didn't know about silver pride that would be an amazing thing to celebrate we had we did a silver pride tea dance our last one was in november and so we it's, it's one of our most important days in the calendar And I know other charities do their own things for it as well. And it's that real opportunity to recognise that potentially Pride as it stands, which is a brilliant and fantastic event, we know it is, isn't what everybody needs. You know, there there are loads of these little Prides popping up. And I say little, they're not, you know, Black Pride, which is amazing, Trans Pride, and now Silver Pride to add to the roster, which is very exciting. Fantastic. Is it on a specific day or does it change? Or It's not quite as it's not quite as structured as Pride itself. We, as I said, it's across the month of November. We that's when we have our event. Amazing. Well, I like to swing dance, so maybe I can join in the well, team. Actually, you should join us, Marianne. I love dancing with especially with older people as well, because they're always much better dancers than younger people <laughs> I think the the, sil- the silver pride the reason that it was it's often tea dances and swing dances is because that was what LGBT communities did in the early 20th century as their celebratory and kind of dance meeting opportunities so we also yeah. like to do that as a kind of recognition of of, of those things that have come before us they they are actually really fun I love them <laughs> that sounds great cool yeah. Find me up. <laughs> now, in terms of you, you have an appeal at the moment, don't you, for your for your funding? Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah. So funding. I mean, it, 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 this is a, a common experience across the small charity sector. We are a small charity. Funding is extremely tight at the moment. I've been working in charities for. 10 to 15 years now and maybe even longer and I've never known it to be quite this difficult I think that's off the back of the pandemic when there was money available that then sort of disappeared I think that's because there's so many different fact there's so many different areas of society that require money I think it's just there isn't that much of it about we are in a time of austerity and cost of living and that's becoming clearer for charities so we are looking to change our funding the way that we look to funding we we get a lot of our funding from very generous trusts and foundations but I think that that's going to become more scarce as charities are 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 competing for the same pots of money and so we are currently doing an emergency appeal because things are really really difficult for us at the moment and in order for us to sustain ourselves as a charity in the way that we are currently we need to ask for money from from our community and from extended communities in order for us to sustain ourselves into the future whilst we also look for money in different areas of work through our training and our research and all of the other things that we're doing but things are really tight at the moment and and that's been increasingly clear and I haven't even been here that long but it's become increasingly clear in the time that I've been here. I'm sure that people will really want to support your appeal after hearing all of the stuff that you've been talking about today. So how can they donate to the appeal? Will you help us to kind of direct people to the right place? Yeah, so um, openingdoors.lgbt is our website and there's a donate button on the page and you can go straight through there. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see what we're doing. And we are always asking for volunteers and other types of help like venues and places for us to meet. So any of those things would be a fantastic way to support us in the work we do. Amazing. Is there anywhere that people can follow you personally or is, or should it be mainly through opening doors? Mainly through opening doors. I wouldn't say I'm a personal fan of all of the different platforms, but I am on X, formerly Twitter, as at Bridget the Gap. So you can find me there, but mainly through opening doors. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today and explaining all about the work that you do and the issues that are facing older people and and also kind of how to bring back more positivity into that time of life. So yeah, thank you very, very much.
It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to me, Marianne. Thank you for listening to Justice Studio Sessions. We have so enjoyed deep diving into social justice with you. Justice Studio provides compassionate consultancy rooted in social justice. If you would like to work with us, please visit our website at www.justicestudio.org or email us at info at justicestudio.org. This podcast relies on your support. If you love our content and would like to see this podcast reach more people, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave us a lovely review. We would be delighted for you to share your thoughts, musings, or favorite parts of the podcast with us on social media. You can tag and or follow Marianne at creatrix.london and Justice Studio at Justice Studio on all the major social sites. This podcast was hosted by Marianne Moore and produced by Justice Studio Limited. The music was by Luke Fraser at The Tonic and the artwork was by Marianne. Thank you so much for listening.